Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. If you'd like to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1, our young people are going to be learning about Daniel and uh, hopefully uh, having our class on the same topic will allow you to have some of those conversations on the way home uh, to touch base on some of these th- uh, same topics uh, and hopefully to build on that. Uh, the only night that will be different for us is on Wednesday night uh, because uh, we're having a Wednesday night summer series and we've asked uh, Matt Sokolowski to come and talk about building bridges uh, in the time we live in. Sometimes we wonder how can we relate to a culture around us that seems to be changing? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And he has done some uh, work in that regard, not just in ministry, but also uh, academically and just has some insights to share with us. And so we're excited about that. It's interesting to try to put ourselves in the place of other believers uh, who have had to deal with things uh, that we haven't had to deal with. But it's hard for us to put ourselves in situations Uh, where others in other countries have had to deal with that maybe we haven't. One of those I think of took place in 2014 uh, when some of our friends that work in Ukraine for the Ukraine Bible Institute, uh, which was a a school of training ministers there in Donetsk, Ukraine, which was uh, one of, I believe at the time, the third largest city in Ukraine and home to a lot of several different congregations and mission works that were really doing great things. Uh, And the missionaries who worked at this school got a knock on the door one day uh, in 2014 where some soldiers were firmly but politely telling them they had a couple of hours to get everything they had and to get out of that building. That building no longer belonged to them. And so they had a couple of hours to pick up all their computer, all their equipment, figure out where they're going to store it, where they're going to move. Uh, That group ended up moving to Kiev and then obviously with everything that's been taking place over there, Uh, Many of those have had to move to Poland. Uh, And just to keep up with their updates, as they describe just what happens, one day they're in this country, but then they realize something's, we've got to get up and go over here. I've wondered how I would respond to that. How how would American Christians respond to that? All of a sudden things are changing, and now you have to turn on a dime, and you have to leave what you knew, and to go someplace different. Uh, the, the older I get, the less I like change. I like predictability. I like routine. I like knowing what's going to happen. It's hard to imagine that kind of drastic change. And that's actually the way the book of Daniel begins. It begins with an incredibly drastic change. Now, just like a lot of stories in Scripture, the beginning of Daniel's story is also the end of another story. Uh, it's a story that's uh, talked about in First and then Second Chronicles as we've had the kingdom that's divided uh, and uh, Israel has already been taken by the Assyrians and now Judah has been taken into Babylonian captivity. So now we're entering a new period. The time of uh, Judah being self-governing has ended. It's the end of that story, but the end of this story is the beginning uh, of Daniel's. And so what I'd like for us to do is to read through uh, these first seven verses in Daniel just to set the stage. Uh, and then to work through what may be a familiar story to you. It may not be a familiar story to you, but either way, I think it has a lot of implications for us today. So we pick up in verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And so now you have an incredible transition taking place in the life of Daniel. And it's interesting to think about the way chapter 1 is marked. Uh, There's uh, sort of three times you see this phrase show up. In the midst of a passage that's all about God's people being taken, about the king of Babylon apparently being in charge, notice how many times we read the phrase, the Lord gave. So in in verse 2, we have the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So the Babylonians thought they'd really accomplished something, but we see the Lord gave. Uh, And then as we continue to read in verse 9, now God granted, or the Lord gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. Verse 17, as for these four youths, Daniel and his three friends, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature. I want us to notice that because as we study through this chapter, we're constantly going to be coming back to the idea that even though things seem out of control, God is the one who is ordering the events that take place. So this brings us into a little bit of insight into the way Babylonians were doing things. And this is somewhat different than the Assyrian approach in Israel. When the Assyrians went into the northern tribes of Israel, they were determined to, to obliterate. Let's get them into oblivion. We're going to utterly defeat them. The Babylonians, as they were building their empire, had a little different strategy. They wanted to take the best and the brightest and the talented ones and the leaders, and instead of trying to get rid of them or destroy them, they wanted to assimilate them. You're going to become like one of us. You're going to become leaders for us. Now, that has a really pragmatic advantage if you're wanting to build an empire because you're going to have a lot of ground to cover. You're going to have a lot, of, a lot of folks that you're going to need to be in charge of, and so it's helpful to get some of the best uh, leaders that are there. Now, what's interesting is after the Babylonians come, the Persians and the, the kind of Medo-Persian empire, and what they would do is even allow people to go back to their original lands and still kind of report to them and be under them. And so you've got different approaches, uh, but the Babylonians go... Uh, and they do a couple of things. Verse 2, he takes the, some of the vessels of the house of God and he brings them to the house of his God. Uh, this was a way in the ancient world of trying to uh, show dominance. Not only have I defeated you, not only has our nation defeated your nation, but now we're taking things from 
your temple and we're taking them to our temple. It's as if they're insinuating that the God that we serve is greater than the God that you serve. And so that's the reasoning behind taking some of these vessels there. And they show up again later in Daniel uh, at a big feast when they're taken out and the king takes some of those vessels out. So they're taking their holy things from their temple uh, into the Babylonians. And then we're introduced to the sort of best and the brightest that they're trying to uh, assimilate. Uh, and it's interesting to look at the training and the education of, of Persian young people at this time. Historians tell us that uh, that began at age 14 and was completed about age 17. So that may mean that Daniel and his friends are kind of somewhere in that age range of late teens uh, as they're taken in uh, for this education. Uh, if you were training as a Persian individual uh, to become a, a holy person, going to be a master, going to be an advisor, similar to what we would see here, uh, that would take about three years. So it's likely that this process of training was not just a, a crash course in a few months. This was over a period of years. And ancient Mesopotamian artwork has also showed kind of the ideal that they wanted as their leaders, that the rulers were warriors and kings, who had muscles and beards and, and curly long hair. And so as we're sort of seeing this description of Daniel and his friends as a young people in whom there was no defect, they were healthy, they were good-looking, seemed intelligent, you can see why they would be focused in on them. And Babylonian's culture would have been drastically different. Uh, it's interesting to see even little differences in culture. Uh, in our nation, you can go move from one state to another, and there are just little differences. But there are big differences when you go to different regions, even bigger when you go to different countries. Well, Babylonians' culture would have been an entirely new worldview uh, for Judah. Even though God's people struggled with idol worship, the law of Moses, the law of God, had one God that was served, and the one God, the true God that made everything. A lot of the other nations didn't have that concept at all. They worshiped a lot of different gods. So there's a whole new world that they were supposed to be educated in. Uh, they would have had to learn classical Akkadian, which is a pretty tough task. And I think I've uh, got a, a picture of some of the language there carved into uh, kind of an obelisk. Uh, and I know, I'm sure you can see all the details up there uh, of that. But if you just look at some of these images, uh, these were very complex. Uh, there would have been hundreds of symbols and many of the symbols would have had multiple values. And so it's, it's not just like you're learning a lot of new words in your language. You're learning an entirely different way of communicating and of speaking. Uh, and so Akkadian would have been part of their classical education. The trade language would have been Aramaic. Uh, interestingly, the book of Daniel actually has sections of it that are written in Aramaic. Uh, and so that would have been a more common language of the time. Uh, but you also have an entirely different sort of worldview as they were thinking of the gods that they served. Uh, and that is seen in the names that they give them. And so they, they take them, and one of the first things that they want to do in assimilation is sort of attack their identity. And so they change names. Now, there are some things I just I don't know why it worked out this way. When I was growing up, I always heard about Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, Daniel is the Hebrew name of Daniel. It was changed to Belteshazzar, but 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I'm not sure why we, it's just kind of, I don't know if it's, uh, if, if there's a specific reason. They're referred to by their names and Daniel's referred to by his. But all of those names have to do with the God that they served. And so while it's hard to know just exact uh, wording as, as far as what these names would have meant, Daniel's name meant uh, God is my judge, Daniel, and so El, that Hebrew term for God there. They turned that to Belteshazzar, and so that meant Bel, protect his life. A name we might be familiar with is, is Marduk, the god Marduk you may have heard of. Uh, also, it's spelled Bel, B-E-L. Hananiah's name meant the Lord shows grace. That becomes Shadrach, which is uh, the command of Aku, another god. Mishael is who is what God is, becomes Meshach, who is what Aku is. And Azariah, the Lord helps, becomes Abednego, which is the servant of another god. So there's some confusion over what all these names mean exactly, but the one thing scholars can agree on is that they go from honoring the God of Judah to honoring the gods that the Babylonians served. And so it's in the midst of all that that Daniel's got to make a couple of choices. And so tonight I just want us to think uh, about a couple of concepts that we see throughout this chapter. And it's kind of hard for us, uh, it's easy for us to forget one when we look at the other, but these two things are true. The first is that God has control, and then we're going to think about the choice that we have. But let's start by reflecting on the control that God has through all of this. We've already seen that the Lord gave Jehoiakim in verse 2, but then Daniel decides he's going to make a choice in verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now again, we're trying to read into the culture here and understand exactly why this was important to Daniel. Uh, as we think about the uh, phrase here, the king's choice food or eating at the king's table, it's not that these young men were invited to gather around the table with the king, but it refers to the rations, the food that the king was served. So why would he choose not to do that? It may be that it wasn't prepared in a way that was consistent with Jewish law. As we read through the law of Moses, there are laws about what's clean and unclean and uh, what should be eaten and shouldn't be eaten. It may have been that it implied kind of a covenant with this king, and that as if somehow they were, they were agreeing with some of the things that the king was uh, saying or doing. It may have been food that was offered to idols. And so Daniel may have said, we're not going to eat this food that had been part of this idol ceremony. Uh, we don't know the exact reasons, but we do know that when Daniel looked at this, he saw a compromise, and this was in his control. There are a lot of things that happened to him that weren't in his control. But this was in his control, and so he makes the decision not to defile himself. And what's going to happen? This could very easily have caused problems with the king. This could have been offensive to the king. You're telling me that we conquered your people, and we brought you in. We've let you live. We've let you have this chance and an opportunity to be a leader, and you're going to turn down our food? Our food is somehow not good enough for you? The king's food is not good enough? And so what's Daniel going to do when he makes this choice? Verse 9, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion inside of the commander of the officials. 
There are phrases like this we see in the Old Testament when we think about Joseph, for example, even when he's in prison. There are phrases like this we see when we look at David as he is anointed king and as he starts to have success uh, in the eyes of Israel. When God is with someone, no matter what the situation is, whether they're a captive, an exile, a prisoner, God's going to give them success. If God has made that decision, it's going to happen. God has control. And so he goes to the commander, and uh, the commander sort of cuts a deal with him. Uh, in verse uh, 12, Daniel says, Test your servants for ten days. Give us some vegetables and tea and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And so as we think about the decision that's being made here, it's good to be reminded that God is in control. I know that there are uh, some uh, diet plans out there that are kind of the Daniel diet or the Daniel fast. And if, if you prefer eating vegetables, if you'd rather eat vegetables, that's, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's happening here is more than just dietary choices. Daniel is taking a stand. He's deciding to live up to his Israelite identity rather than the identity they gave him in Babylon. He's choosing which name he's going to live out, and he's going to live for God. He also keeps his composure here. It would have been really easy to say or do something after everything that had happened that would have been seen as rash or angry, but that's not really what happens here. He acts wisely and makes a decision that stays true to who he is. And so then what's interesting is God continues in verse 17 to give. He gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So when we think about how huge a task it would have been to understand a new language and a new way of thinking, we have God giving them the ability to be able to navigate that situation well. God has control. Now, there are times I wish that I had the perspective Scripture does where Scripture can talk about things that happen and say, okay, and here's what God is doing in the midst of that. Scripture could talk about this exile, but also say God's with Daniel, God's with his friends, here's how God's working. Uh, we don't always have that divine perspective uh, we certainly don't have it if we don't read it in Scripture. And so we look around our lives, and sometimes it feels like it's out of control. No one's in control. We look at the culture we live in, and we say, I, this seems like it's kind of getting out of control here. It's good to know that even though we might know, know exactly what's happening, we can know that God has control. Uh, the word sovereignty is going to show up in that concept all through the book of Daniel, that God is ultimately the sovereign ruler of all. God has control. And so that's important for us to know on one hand. On the other hand, Daniel 1 reminds us that we have a choice. Uh, now, theologians for years have tried to explain the relationship between God's sovereignty and our free will. God has control, but we also have choices to make. And when Daniel makes choices that seek to glorify and honor God, God is with Daniel. And so when I'm thinking about what's going to happen in the rest of this book, and when I'm thinking about what's going to happen the rest of this week, what our children are going to be learning, 
We want them to learn we're going to have a choice. It doesn't matter how drastically things might change, we're still going to have a choice to decide what are we going to believe in? How are we going to serve? There may be situations that are not our choosing. Daniel didn't choose to be in this situation. There will be challenges where uh, even our identity, maybe even uh, our idea of who we want to serve and how we want to serve is under attack. We can choose what identity we're going to live up to. We can choose to live for the name of Christ. And so God has control, but we also have a choice. Both of those things are true. And as you talk with your children tonight, maybe those will be some good conversations uh, on the ride home. Uh, you, may have to, you may probably just talk about the grouchy rooster all the way home. That also happens after VBS. But just the idea that God is in control, we're going to see that all through Daniel's life, but also we have a choice. We can decide what we want to do. There, there are a lot of situations where it feels like we don't have a choice. It feels like we're in environments that we didn't choose we're dealing with challenges that we didn't dream up, that we wouldn't have selected if we'd had the opportunity. But in the midst of that, what can I do? How can I follow that example to purpose in my heart and say, okay, here are things I can't control. And that list is longer than we want to admit. There are a lot of things we can't control. What can I control? And then what am I going to do about those things? Every Sunday night when we come together, we always want to offer an invitation uh, a chance for those who may want to become a child of God to put Christ on in baptism? Uh, is there any more powerful reminder about the importance of our choices uh, than thinking about that choice to serve Jesus? And so it may be that you're here tonight and that's a decision you're ready to make. It may be that there's something else uh, that's on your heart and on your mind. Our Vacation Bible School is for all of us. It's not just for our children. And we want to give you the opportunity if there's a way that we can pray for you and a way that we can help you. We might not always see what goes on behind the scenes, but God has control. And at the same time, we get to choose how we're going to react to that. If you need to make the choice to serve God, if there's any way that we can help you, please come as we all stand together and as we sing.